We're in a series on happiness. Happiness. Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon recorded of Jesus's, long sermon. He started the sermon by talking about how to be happy. And really, if you read through the rest of the sermon, Matthew starting chapter in chapter 5, if you read through the next couple of chapters through the rest of the sermon, you'll find that there, there are all kinds of nuggets there that if you and I will obey those things, they go along with how Jesus started this. If we'll turn our hearts towards those things in the same way that, that, that Jesus said we could, then your life will begin to come into a place of happiness and peace. Don't you want that? Yes. And so the first four deal with mainly how we deal with God and our relationship with Him. The first four things that Jesus gave us, the Beatitudes, all right? Remember in kids' church, they, taught, they called it the Beatitudes? You be this, have this attitude. So that's why we call it the Beatitudes, be this. But these others are about how then we treat, we treat each other. So it's one thing how we treat God and have that relationship with God. Jesus said, love God, love people, right? So now we get to the love people. And last week we talked about having mercy on people. And today we're going to move to the next one. <clears throat> Happy are the pure in heart. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Happy are the pure in heart. You know, as Americans, and listen, it's not just Americans, it's me personally. I'm a germaphobe. I don't know if you knew that about me. Wash my hands a lot. I, yeah, I have a problem when something touches my lips that is dirty. It just is a problem. And it just is, yeah, it's, it's a real issue in my life. I'm not horrible at it. I'm, I know that there's people that are worse than this. But, you know, we have this thing that we need clean water, don't we? Can you hand me that water? We need clean water. And so we have bottled water. I wonder how much money we spend for bottled water now. Uh, we need clean air. Did you, we spend millions of dollars for air purifiers in our homes now because we need clean air. We need, we need clean food. And listen, I'm a huge proponent for clean food. Our, you know, the, the, the thing that our people have to sign before they cook on Wednesday nights is they will not lick their fingers when they're cooking for our church. No, they don't. I didn't do that. But maybe we've forgotten about an area in our lives that, that God said needs to be pure. And that's our heart. More than, more than air, more than water, more than food, our heart. What does that mean? <clears throat> you know what's interesting about this water in this bottle is this isn't this water's first go around. And I don't mean to be crass, but I'm just going to say it. At some point in this water's history, it's possible that it was in a toilet somewhere. That's just reality. Now, before you tune out, listen to this, okay? It went through a purification process. Thank you, Lord, for that, right? And now it's here, and I don't mind drinking it. As germophobic as I am, I believe that this water... Hmm... It's pure. 
It went through a process, didn't it? Thankfully. And Jesus talked about this process. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What was he talking about? He's saying what comes out of your mouth is, is indicative of what happened to the information that came through the heart. Whatever was filtered through your heart has come out of your mouth. Matthew chapter 15, 11, Jesus talked about it's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean. It's what comes out. What is he saying? He's saying that what comes into your life through your senses, it's important for all of that to get filtered through a clean heart, a pure heart, as opposed to your corrupt heart. And then it comes out. In other words, whatever happened to you throughout your life, the, the things that people did to you that you wish they wouldn't have done, the pain that you've experienced in your life, and even the stuff that you've put in that you shouldn't have put in through your eyes and your ears and all of the stuff that you've put into your life, what goes in needs to be filtered through a, a pure heart as opposed to, by default, your corrupt heart. What's he saying? He's saying what comes out is determined by how you filter life. Does that make sense? Some people have filtered the problems and struggles and difficulties and trials of their life. They've filtered them through their corrupt heart. And so what happens is, is they hurt the people around them. They say things they shouldn't say. They, they do things they shouldn't do. They use all of the stuff that's gone into their life as an excuse to do the bad. I was talking to a guy just yesterday, and he was telling me how he fell back into meth just over the last couple of weeks. It was a simple phone call from his daughter to say, we've moved away. Well, just what? You moved away? You didn't tell me about it. And, and the pain of that situation gave him permission to fall back into something that he had gotten rid of two years ago in his life. And so what comes into your brain, what comes into your life, needs to be filtered through a good heart, a clean heart, that is, a pure heart, instead of your corrupt heart. Are you following me? So... <clears throat> what does it mean to be pure in heart? <clears throat> the greatest king, one of the greatest kings in the, in the history of our world, and definitely in the history of Israel, his name was King David. You've heard that about King David, haven't you? And we don't have time to go into the whole story today, but I would encourage you to go and read it. Um, 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12 tells the story. But maybe you've heard of it. It's David and Bathsheba. Y'all remember that story? And what happened in this story is David and his neighbor Bathsheba committed adultery together. She became pregnant with his baby while her husband was out fighting in a battle for King David. King David slept with his wife and got her pregnant. And this story is so true to life because, you know, we put sin at different levels, don't we? Well, I stole a pencil. <laughs> well, I committed murder. <laughs> okay, we have them at different levels different levels. And in, in this situation, it's so true to life. David committed adultery, but then in order to cover up this sin, he actually committed murder. He murdered her husband to, to be able to cover up this sin in his life. And that is so true to what we do in our lives. Instead of just owning it early on, we commit more and we make bigger messes. 
And afterwards, when David came to his senses, he had a moment where Nathan the prophet came, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But Nathan the prophet came and and said some things to David, and suddenly he came to his senses. And suddenly David realized, oh man, I've made a mess. I hurt people. I did some bad things. You see, the fog of temptation suddenly lifted. He had clarity. He was like, this is what I've done. Oh my God, this is what I've done. And he turned to God, and I want to read that chapter to you, or at least most of it. Psalm chapter 51. This is what David said when he came to his senses, when he realized what he had done. He said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. I'm always thinking about it now. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. What is he saying? God, bring happiness back to me. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all of my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Man, everybody say that with me. Create in me a pure heart, O God. I want to be happy again. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. There's another good one, isn't it? Let's say that together. God, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You can only imagine how guilty he felt. You are my God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. Look at what he's saying. If I were to come and sacrifice something today to try to get what I feel like would make me feel happy again and forgiveness, it's not good enough or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, instead, is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. That, God, you will not despise. Does David sound happy here? Not yet. He's on the path to happiness. He's taking the right steps towards it. And you know, in the moment of your temptation, your temptation says, if you do this, you'll be happy. If you get this, you'll be happy. If you go this direction, this will make you happy. Isn't that what temptation does? And it it puts you into a fog. 
If you just explode, then you'll feel better. David turned to God to restore him. David turned to God to cleanse him. David turned to God to get wisdom. If you read through that, he he wanted wisdom to move forward in his life. He turned to God for that. And David turned to God for deliverance from the guilt that he had for bloodshed. And David knew that it wasn't sacrifice, no amount of sacrifice, no amount of money, and no amount of service to God was going to take care of what he needed in order to have that happiness in his life again. And listen, you can try to give as much as you, as much as you make to the church, you will not find happiness again from that. You can try to serve as much as you can in the church, but until you confess and until you begin to take your sin to God and deal with your life and deal with what you've done in your life, until you take that stuff to God, no amount of service, no amount of money that you give, no amount of sacrifice you make is going to make up for that. You've got to accept what Christ did for you, and you've got to begin to use God's wisdom to begin to make your life right again. I'm going to talk with you about that today. Jesus said, happy are the pure in heart. How do you get a pure heart? First, you've got to start with what David talked about. You've got to have a broken and contrite spirit. You've got to be willing to be broken in your spirit and and have a contrite heart. David came to God and he confessed his sin. He called it what it is. First, you've got to be able to call it what it is. This is what I did. I did this. I did this. And you've got to be able to look in the mirror and recognize this is what I did. He realized, he realized how what he did affected the people in his life. He hurt people. David hurt people. He murdered somebody. He took the man's wife and murdered him. He hurt people. People's lives were changed. And when he realized it, it broke his spirit and he had a contrite heart. Nathan the prophet came to him. And if you read the story, you'll, you'll read what Nathan said. But here's the gist of it. Nathan said, hey, King David, there were two men in the city. One was very rich and the other was very poor. The rich man had all kinds of flocks and herds. He had all kinds of animals at his disposal, and and he was just very wealthy. The poor man had one little lamb, and that little lamb became so important to him. He became like a child to him. He ate with him. He slept with him. He did everything with him, just followed him around. It was a beautiful little lamb, and it was like his own child. And the rich man had a, a friend that came in town to visit with him, and the rich man didn't want to take one of his animals to feed him, so he He demanded the the little lamb from the man, the poor man, be taken from him. And he slaughtered that lamb and used it to feed his guest instead of just taking one of his own. What do you think about that, David? And David became enraged. He said, this is wrong. I can't believe somebody would be so heartless to do that. You need to tell that man to pay this guy back four times what that little lamb would have cost. This is ridiculous. That's horrible. What kind of person would do that? And Nathan looked at him and he said, You are that man. You're the one who did this. And suddenly David realized what he had done. He had hurt people. He had done something that was awful. He had hurt people. And his heart 
was contrite and his spirit became broken and he realized this is what my sin has done. This is an awful situation. I can't believe I've done this. I did this. And when you look, listen, when you look at your life and you see what your addiction is doing to other people, it suddenly will break your spirit and suddenly you'll become remorseful like David was. When you look at your life and you see and you come to your senses and you see that how your gossip or what you're saying about other people is actually hurting other people, you'll become broken in your spirit and remorseful and contrite in your heart. And that is the first step to a pure heart in your life. When you're able to be honest with yourself and see how your anger is hurting other people, how it's hurting your spouse, how it's hurting your children, how it's hurting the people at your workplace, whatever it is, your anger is hurting other people. Don't be afraid to look at it. Look and see how you're affecting other people's lives. And when you do that, then you're able to have a broken spirit and a contrite heart. And when you realize how your pride is pounding others into the ground, instead of helping them to rise up and become better and greater and feel like life is is okay around you instead of pounding them into the ground you become contrite in your heart and you become broken in your spirit and realize i don't need the lord over over others and when you realize and see how your greed is keeping you at work 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 and your family suffers and never gets to see you then you'll become contrite in your heart I'm broken in your spirit when you realize your kids just want to be with you. You say, well, John, I haven't murdered anybody. But that's the point. If you don't see how your sin is hurting others, you'll never, never be free from it. You'll never realize how you're destroying your relationships. You've got to come to the place where your heart is contrite and you're remorseful for what your sin has done. And that's a good place. That's where David started. You see, restoration for David happened because his spirit broke and his heart became remorseful. That's where you start. Secondly, to be pure in heart, you've got to own your sin in love. Own your sin in love. The question isn't, will you sin? The question is, what will you do with your sin? After you sin, what are you going to do with it? What am I saying? How are you going to process it? Your sin comes into your life by choice and sometimes even accidentally. You hurt and destroy, right? Your sin comes in. How are you going to process that? Life comes in. Somebody hurts you. What's gonna, how are you going to process that? Is it going to come out in pain towards others? Is it going to give you the right to do bad things? Is it going to give you the right to destroy relationships? Is it going to give you the right to go back into an addiction? What are you going to do with the stuff that comes in? How are you going to process that? Through your natural corrupt heart? Or are you going to process that through your, your spirit that God has given you, the good part of your life? God's the heart that God has created in you how will you process it and let me ask you a question can God take your sin and do something amazing with it do you believe that then don't be afraid to call it what it is and don't be afraid to own it trust him with it God will make Satan frustrated and angry that he ever tempted you if you'll let him 
If you'll give it to God, He will be able to do something greater with it. You see, the goal isn't to stop sinning. You can quote me on that if you need to. What are you saying? Sin is okay, John? No. You just got to quit making that your goal. The goal isn't to stop sinning. The goal is to change your life to start loving. The goal is to start loving in your life. Don't just stop doing destructive things in your life for your selfish purposes. Start loving. If your motive to stop sinning is purely selfish, that's going to get you nowhere. Think about this. What if there was a guy that said, well, I don't ever want to be sinful and self and and sinless and self-righteous because self-righteousness is just as much a sin. So I probably shouldn't even come to Christ. I probably shouldn't even go to church because that will make me self-righteous like these other Christians that I've seen before. I just don't even want to do that. It's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Imagine a guy who says, well, I want to stay away from sexual temptation. Therefore, I don't want to ever date a woman or be out with a woman that might lead me to a place of sexual temptation. And and, and I'm going to not do that. I'm going to stay away from somebody instead of loving somebody and marrying somebody and going down that road and making a good relationship. I'm just going to stay away from it altogether and I'm going to hide in some basement somewhere or go live on a mountain as a monk. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? I'm I'm not sinning. I'm not sinning. Yeah, but you're not loving either. Are you following me? Are you following me or not? All right. Or the guy that says, okay, I don't want to be greedy. Greed is a sin. Therefore, I'm not going to get a job. I'm just going to go and live somewhere where it's just me and taking care of me. And and what is he doing? He's He's also not building a life. He could go out and build a business that provides jobs for other people. He could go out and build a business and do whatever he needs to do to build wealth so that he could then give to other people. And instead of instead of being so focused on not sinning, we need to be focused on love. You see the difference? Or can you imagine a woman saying, I don't ever want to deal with anger in my life, so I'm never going to have kids. I know kids will make me angry, so I'm never going to have kids. She will never have the opportunity to love children. Are you following what I'm saying? If you're so focused on not sinning, you're never going to be able to love. You've got to make that switch. And because of the finished work on the cross of Christ... He made it where we didn't have to worry about that anymore. We can only, listen, the only thing you need to be afraid of is not loving. It's a shift. God wants you to begin loving. Loving your spouse, loving your husband, loving your wife, loving your children, loving your church family, loving God. Loving your co-workers, loving the guy or lady next to you on 380, loving the people around you. Love will overcome sin. Isn't that awesome? Above all, 
above all, have fervent and unfailing love for one another because love covers over a multitude of sins. That's Scripture. So David had a choice when it came to Bathsheba, how he would treat her after their failures. How would he treat her? Would he cast her out? Would he say, all right, I don't ever want to remember this again. She's just a reminder that not only did I commit adultery, but I murdered her husband. She's going to be a reminder of that for the rest of my life. I don't want that. He could have cast her out of the kingdom and been done with her. Or would he choose to take her in as his own and own his sin and make things right with her? David took responsibility for his sin. He embraced her and he made things right. And the baby that was conceived out of wedlock became deathly ill. The Lord allowed him to get sick and he died. And you can imagine the heartbreak that Bathsheba had when that happened. You can imagine the fear that she had because that happened. That baby is what connected her to King David. And now that baby is gone. And you can imagine how afraid she was. Is he going to cast me away? Is he going to get rid of me? Is he going to put me out? Am am I going to be on my own, some old hag living out in the woods for the rest of my life? Would David get rid of me to deal with his sin, to deal with his guilt, or would he embrace me? Instead, David took her in, and not only did he take her in as his wife and just keep her, but he also gave her another baby. And that that baby became the next king, Solomon. And look what it says. She gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. And Jedidiah means loved by the Lord. You see, God was so pleased with how David owned his responsibility, owned his sin. God was so pleased that David did this to make things right. He loved this baby because of that. That's awesome. And when you think about the genesis of this relationship and how it all went down, murder was involved, adultery was involved, God was able to say, all right, that's what it looks like to own the responsibility of the things that you've done wrong in other people's lives. That's what it looks like to make things right. And I love it, and I love this baby. That's beautiful. But it's way bigger than that. Solomon, or as God named him, Jedediah. I'm going to read this because you'll understand why. Solomon became the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. God took the bad and made something amazing. No matter how bad you've done, no matter how bad you've been, God can take what you've done and make it into something amazing. You just got to trust Him with it. It all begins in your heart. A contrite heart. And a broken spirit, it's okay. Take it to God. 
own your sin and make it right. When you look at your sin and see how it hurt others, will you own it and have remorse? Are you just going to go on and say, oh, God forgave me. Everything's good. Wait a second. That doesn't cut it. Proverbs 24, 21, God knows and judges your motives. He keeps watch over you. He knows he rewards you according to what you do. God rewards you according to what you do. And he wants to reward you like he did David. And he allowed David to be in the lineage of Christ through the son that was born of Bathsheba. So how do I test my heart for purity? James David, would you come? I'm going to give you a few things real quick as we conclude today. How do you test your heart for purity? <clears throat> First, look at your activities. Look at your daily activities. Where are your resources going? Where's your time, your money, your energy, your talents? Where are those things going? Where are you investing your life? The scripture says, Jesus said this, and this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is right after Jesus gave us the happy things. He said, don't pile up treasures on earth, but keep your treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, your heart, you want your heart to be pure. He says, there your heart will be also. Where's your talent? Where's your energy? Where's your money? Where's your time? All of that, are you putting it towards the things of God? Secondly, look at your anxieties. What are you anxious about? What do you worry about the most? <clears throat> you can tell a lot about a person by what they worry about. What are you worried about? Matthew 6.25, same Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. And if you go out throughout the, the, book, the chapter uh, 6 of Matthew there, the five most common worries are in this passage, starting with verse 24, finances. If you're worried about your finances, that's a problem. It's a heart problem. 25, verse 25, your food. If all you think about is your food, it's a problem. Verse 27, fitness. Verse 28, fashion. Verse 34, your future. If you're worried about these things, it's a heart issue. And God says it's time to take those to me and purify your heart. All of that other stuff is through your flesh. Let your heart become pure. God says check out these things in your life. What are your anxieties? What's your activities? What's your anxieties? And number three, look at your ambitions. What are your goals in life? Your, your goals reveal the direction of your heart. Whatever the, is the number one goal in your life, that's the direction of your heart. Do you want a pure heart? What's the ambition of your life? What's important to you? Matthew 6, again, verse 31 through 33. Don't worry about these things. That's what pagans are always looking for. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. He's saying all the stuff that I just listed a few minutes ago, the things that you worry about, all of that stuff. He says that's what the people of the world worry about. He said set your heart first 
on his kingdom and his goodness and all these things will come to you as a matter of course he says god will take care of all these things but you got to set your heart on the things of god on the kingdom of god you see the, the problem that we have as christians is when we find our ambitions are the same as everybody else in the world got to get first in all these other areas of our life. We buy into the culture. We buy into the system. It's the same beliefs as all, all the unbelievers. And what happens? We end up with the same tension. We end up with the same stress. We end up with the same failures. We end up with the same headaches, the same problems, the same stress in life. And God says, no, you set your heart on my kingdom and everything's just going to fall into place. You don't worry about it all. So we come to this. What are the results of a pure heart? What are the results of it? One, happiness. Happiness. If you want happiness, purify your heart. Turn it to God. How does that make you happy? Because you don't have to fake it anymore. You don't have to be perfect. If there's one thing that I hope you get from me being your pastor, it's that you see a guy that is happy that's not perfect. Why? Because I believe in the grace of Christ. I believe in the love of Christ. I believe in His grace. I believe in His mercy. And I don't have to be perfect. What do I have to do? I have to love. I have to love. And that's the goal. That's my goal. Not to be perfect. You, you don't have to be phony. You don't have to pretend. You see, happiness is when you don't have to fear being found out. But you just say, yeah, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I do my best to go back and make things right where I fail. And oh, by the way, if I ever hurt you, please know I want to make it right. If I can. If I can. Just let me know. Care for those you hurt. Embrace the responsibility of it. Secondly, what's going to happen? You get to see God. You get to see God. So this morning, do what David did in Psalm 51. This was a very shattering experience for David. One of the lowest moments in his life, as you can imagine. The weight of all of his failure had fallen on him. And he felt bad. And he said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Filled with clean thoughts and right desires, you bow your head? <clears throat> Have you sinned? Have you hurt somebody? Have you hurt a relationship? Don't be afraid to own it. God is happy when you own it. And when you go back and make something right, 
or when you embrace the responsibility of the problem that you created. God loves that. He loves it. Would you talk to him right now? God, create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit in me. In Jesus' name. Renew a right spirit in me. Wash me. David had no idea what he was saying when he said, blot out my transgressions. But what do you blot with? You blot with blood. The blood of Christ. God, blot out my transgressions today. Wash me. And I embrace the responsibility of what I've done. Now give me the wisdom to make it right. And I pray that you'd, you would turn it into something great. I own it. Maybe you're turning your heart towards Christ today for the first time. Just talk to him about it. God, thank you for washing me from all of my sin. I give you my life, the rest of it. Thank you, in Jesus' name.